Hello, friends. Welcome to Feed Learning People Podcast, a podcast where fellow humans share their vulnerable moments and how they navigated sticky situations throughout their careers. We've all been there, so let's learn from each other. My name is Jesse, and today I'm here with Sam Carroll. <laughs> all right. Today I'm on a Zoom call with Sam Carroll, who is a colleague of my husband, Kevin. In this episode, she shares her journey of making a major career change into tech and how she became an engineering manager at Reddit. She'll also talk about her four step framework on how to manifest luck and get recognized in the workplace how she focuses more on impactful projects versus busy work, and the secret sauce for all managers to build trust on their team. Hope you enjoy this episode and check out feedlearning.com slash podcast for the show notes. Can you scan your resume, work your way up to where you are right now? So I went to school for marketing. I went to Fordham University in New York City, and I graduated with a marketing degree in 2011. Uh, I actually didn't really love marketing and somehow got a job selling life insurance right after college, um, which was absolutely miserable. I am a... (laughs) terrible salesperson. And though I do, I really do think life insurance, of course, is important, but it was like unimaginably horrible for me. I just hate sales. And so I quit after a year and became a waitress in New York because I still had to pay my rent somehow. And so I was waitressing down in Hell's Kitchen at this little sports bar and as I was working, I, it was winter and I was kind of like, oh my God, I can be a waitress anywhere. Why am I suffering in New York City? <laughs> so I um, decided to move to LA because as beautiful country. weather, yep, cross mm-hmm. country, drove across the country with, with the dog. And so I landed in LA and was just working down on Larchmont at this little like wine and cheese like shop basically. Mm-hmm. And through the grapevine, heard about something called Dev Bootcamp, which was ended up being one of the first coding boot camps of its time. This was in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so kind of on a whim, I decided to do it. And so I moved to San Francisco, lived in a hostel for three months, uh, learning how to code for like 16 hours a day. Wow. People in my family aren't necessarily in tech or anything like that. So I didn't even, I didn't know a single tech term at all. And so it was really tough. Uh, I ended up getting a job about a month after boot camp at a small startup called Preact. Um, and I stayed there for about two and a half years as an engineer. And then in 2016, I joined Reddit as an engineer, and I've been there for four years now. And within the last year, I am now an engineering manager of our web infra team. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, it's- <laughs> so, so you talked about how you're a um, insurance salesperson and how you hated it, right? <laughs> Why the heck did you even take the job to begin with? Oh, my God. So when they pitched it to me, it's like a salesperson pitching you this, like, incredible idea of oh, a that job. Person was good. Yeah, they're, like their literal <laughs> job is to sell whoever uh-huh. they're talking to and they sold the heck out of me. It's a totally lucrative job, but it takes a while to get the business like up and running. Like the the month before I quit, I think it was like one of the first paychecks really that I was seeing and I made $10,000 in the last month before wow. I quit, which was uh-huh. I was like, "Oh my god." 
maybe it's worth like uh-huh. <laughs> the misery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the previous like nine months, I had basically made like no money. And so, yeah, it's just like they were like, look, this is like the average salary that you can make. I think they said the average first year salary was like $60,000, which for me was not true <laughs> at all. And it's hard for you to really sell something that you don't really. Probably didn't use yourself or、yeah. didn't really believe in the product too much because the stage in your life at that moment, you didn't really think too much about it. I'm assuming. Exactly. Or it's、yeah. like, what even is death? Like, I don't know anybody who's died. Like, I, I couldn't even imagine like what. This would mean, of course. Now, during this pandemic, looking back on it, it's、yeah. like holy shit. This is like a really important industry. But at the time, it was like I didn't even know life insurance、mm-hmm. was like a thing before I started selling it. Yeah. Before you decided to quit, like what was going through your mind? How did you know you wanted to quit? Did you have a plan afterwards? I had no plan. I was like crying every single day. I was like so stressed. My parents were like, "Just quit! What are you doing?" Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know what it is. I have a really hard time quitting things after、mm-hmm. I've like committed to doing them, and so it probably took me like six months past when I should have quit to actually quit. And basically, what I did, I just walked in and I was like, "I do not want to do this anymore. I am miserable," and I felt.、Mm-hmm. Horrible! I felt like such a failure. I felt embarrassed that I like couldn't hack it, and I didn't really have a plan. I was just like, I know I can't do this, and so I left the office, and I was like, I'm just gonna walk part of the way back to my apartment, and then stop at like every single bar and restaurant on the way back. And <laughs> this was the and, same day that you yeah, quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>、wow. And try to get、uh-huh. a job, and I had no、yeah. no waitressing experience, but.、Uh-huh. I kind of like conned my way into this waitressing job. I, they asked if I had any experience. I was like, "Well, I in college,、uh-huh. kind of what like would help serve beer from behind a bar." That so, was in your apartment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so they hired me, and it was great, and it was great. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right, so you, you talked about how you were like embarrassed. I don't words you said embarrassed or ashamed or whatnot. Like why? Why did you feel that way? It's just part of my personality that like if I commit to something, I am going to see it through no matter what.、Mm-hmm. Like for example, in college, I played. I signed up to play like club rugby.、Nice. I am like a hundred and ten pound, like five foot five girl. Yeah, and I w- I just got the shit kicked out of me every <laughs> single day for like four years, and I hated rugby. I hated it, but I felt like I was like I committed to this, and now I can't quit because I have made a commitment to this team、yeah. and to myself, and now I can't quit. So I just had to like suck it up for four years. It was yeah truly terrible. I think like now that I'm getting older, this is like something of mine that I am less terrible at. But especially in my youth, I really felt like to quit was to be was shameful to like quit something. Do you feel that like that today? No, I don't think so. I think、okay. like especially I you know I'm 30 now, and so I'm actually 31, and so it it really <laughs> it turned a corner for me. When I started getting more confident about like who I am as a human,、mm-hmm. as a person, that now it's like okay, quitting something doesn't reflect 
pretty much anything on yeah. on me. So I don't really feel that way anymore at all. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get what you mean. It's like, like you committed, you're probably like a very loyal person, I'm assuming. Yeah, that commitment. is like a cornerstone of my personality. Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's tough to tell someone one thing and then kind of back out of it. It's like, oh, I didn't keep my word, right? Exactly. It, it, it feels like um, you not only failed them, but you failed yourself as well. Um, you can be committed to a job, but sometimes you got to think about yourself. Totally. Sometimes that comp- the company can just like drop you. And not yeah. even that an eye, right? Exactly. So exactly. at the end of the day, you got to think about yourself sometimes. Um, I agree. Going back to that that feeling of embarrassment or being ashamed, did you feel did you feel judged by your peers as well? Oh my God, yes. I I felt like such a failure. Oh my God. Especially because like age 22, 23, everyone's basically pretending like they mm-hmm. have a good career and a lot of money and, and nobody actually does, but you don't know it until you're out of it. <laughs> Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. occur to you that it's like, why would someone who's 23 be like making a ton of money and be in a position of like authority or power? That's just, it's just not true. But mm-hmm. it seemed like everyone around me was in like working these amazing positions at these like big global companies and not worrying about paying rent or this or that. Yeah. And so I felt, I was so embarrassed. I remember there were these like three women from my high school who ended up randomly like coming into the bar that I was working in and I was just like fuck like fuck I'm so uh mad that they're like in here seeing me you know after I graduated college with these honors and I was (laughs) and I was so embarrassed because I just felt like everyone around me was you know had these amazing jobs and now of course in retrospect Nobody at 23 has a good job, like literally nobody. Uh-huh. But yeah, at the time, it was a huge blow to my ego yeah. and my self-esteem. So you talked about how you found the, the dev boot camp, um, and it seemed like you probably did some more research on it before you joined the boot camp. Did you ever feel like you were going to make the wrong move? Like, how did you know you wanted <laughs> to go through that, you know, down that route? Because it possibly you could have another career change totally yeah yeah um so it really wasn't like that well thought out I'm a pretty what's the word I'm like spontaneous yeah exactly I am a pretty (laughs) spontaneous person who I'm like oh that sounds good I I will just do Uh, that and that's also something I completely acknowledge that that comes with like being privileged right so like if I failed it's not like I would ever be homeless or be hungry. Like my parents could always catch me if I fell. And so that Mm -hmm. spontaneity comes from like, you know, having the privilege to be spontaneous. I don't take that for granted at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically like when I was in LA, especially being a waitress, everyone assumed that I was waitressing because I wanted to be a model or an actress. And that just... Oh, it offended me to like to my core <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. that that's what people thought I wanted to do and I wanted to be. And when yeah. I would say like, oh, I'm thinking about because I had been taking a couple online classes with like SQL and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. I would tell the regulars at my restaurant, they'd be like, I remember one guy one time said to me, he was like, wow, what a waste. What a waste of a face. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> that you, you want to get into tech. 
and you should really be a, uh, an actress, blah, blah, blah. And so uh-huh. it was really this like spite driven uh-huh. uh, motivation that like got me to take it really seriously. And I was like, all these people think that I can't do it. And so of course I can do it. Like I'm going to prove everybody wrong and um, go kill it. And so that's yeah. basically was like my Good motivation. Good for you. Way to way to turn that situation to to motivate you. I still remember it like seven years later. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that guy that said that to you. If you're listening, <laughs> hope you have explosive diarrhea or something. <laughs> How you got where you are today? Was it a bit of luck? Was it a bit of grit and hard work? Was it a bit of both? What drove you to where you are today? So it was definitely a ton of grit and hard work, but Mm -hmm. anybody who doesn't attribute like 70% of their life to luck, I feel like is not not in tune with truly how much luck goes into like being successful. Like Ah, I definitely worked hard, right? I was Mm -hmm. at the coding bootcamp minimum 16 hours a day, every day for three months. Jeez. But right, it was like, really lucky that I have parents who can like provide a support system for me. Mm-hmm. It's really lucky that I happened to hear about something called Dev Bootcamp. It's really lucky that like I entered the bootcamp scene when I did before the market started getting a little bit more saturated with bootcamp grads. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really lucky that I applied for my first job and they just happened to have like have had interviewed a bunch of people who sucked and I was like the first person who didn't (laughs) suck and like that was really lucky for me. Mm -hmm. It was just like a ton of luck, like total serendipity to like kickstart this process of where I ended up today. And of course I work hard, I am a good engineer, I I worked really hard to make sure I was contributing value to the companies that I've worked at, but it was a ton of luck. Is there a way to build luck? Actually, it is so funny that you asked me this. I Yeah. So, I just gave a talk uh in 2019 at Grace Hopper conference about this concept pretty much. So, um basically, I like developed this framework for how to manifest your own quote-unquote luck, mm-hmm. um specifically around like how do I get recognized at work? So, there's this principle called the Matthew effect, which basically mm-hmm. states that people who are already recognized, everything that they do is more likely to get recognized. So every subsequent project that they do or whatever is more likely to be recognized by the people around them. And therefore mm-hmm. it creates kind of this like virtuous cycle of you can continue to get better and better and better versus people who are not already recognized in some way have a really hard time getting recognized for any of the work that they do. And it takes a lot longer to start building up some of that recognition. Yeah. Is this kind of like the rich gets richer? Yes, exactly. Rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And so this becomes like super, super important at work because I'm sure you've had this happened to you where you look around and there's this one person who like everybody looks up to and everything that they do seems to be like, Uh, like a kiss from God, like, like wrapped in gold. And you're like, how did this person manifest this like amazing (laughs) reputation for themselves? So basically like my quest has been to develop a framework to like manifest that type of luck or Matthew effect as I like manifest your own Matthew effect. Mm -hmm. And basically it, the four step framework is essentially, um, figure out 
like a problem that's affecting your organization as a whole in some negative way. Mm-hmm. The second step is to figure out like a minimum valuable fix. What is the least amount of work that I can do that will make a dent in this problem and kind of like act as like proof that if I continue developing on this, it'll fix whatever the problem is. Yeah. The third step is to talk about it and talk about it all the time and talk about it incrementally. You don't need to wait for your project to be 100% completed or done or perfect mm-hmm. to start talking about it. And then the last step is to create a framework to allow others to easily jump in and help. Basically, once you start a project and you start finding this type of success, um, you don't want to become the bottleneck for continuing in that success. So yeah. basically asking yourself, how can I make it easy for people to keep like progressing on whatever the project is? And so I did this for myself at, at Reddit and it was crazy. It, I was shocked by the um, shift in perception of like uh-huh. who I was, what the value I brought to the table was. I ended up, I got like skip leveled. I got put in charge of leading a new team, not as a manager, wow. just as a tech uh-huh. lead. Nice. I got like my salary increased like 40% or something like that. And it was crazy. And now it's like everything that all the projects I'm doing now get get kind of like an uneven distribution of attention because you've like manifested this um, perception for yourself. Mm-hmm. So anybody can do it. You don't need to be smart. The, pr- the project that I did for it was cleaning up our error logging, which is so boring, like not a flashy project at all. Yeah. But it affected the entire org. Everybody benefited from it. And just like following that framework, it, it made all the difference in my career. So I, I highly recommend. My slides are uh-huh. online if anyone wants to see them. And okay. I'll share the link. Yeah. Get it for me and I'll share the link. How, how long did it take you to kind of implement these processes through your career to where you finally noticed that shift? Oh my God, it took forever. I wish I had like sat down and like thought deeply about this earlier Uh in my career, but I spent a ton of time. I spent a lot of time complaining. um, Uh Oh, I I should be getting a raise. I should get this. I should get that. Uh I spent a lot of time um, being busy instead of being impactful. So I was like, okay, Uh the the busier I am. So for example, Uh if Uh I like fix some a bunch of these like obscure bugs, that's probably going to be a really good way for me to get noticed. It turns out that's like a terrible way. If the bugs were important, they would be like prioritized and given to you. And they're not super impactful. Like if a bug impacts like 0.01% of users, Mm -hmm. like it's like that's not a very impactful thing to fix. Yeah. I also tried um, asking my manager at the time, I was like, can you give me like, what are like the flashiest projects that we have for the quarter? And can I do all of them? And, yeah. he, and he said, so, yes. Uh-huh. So you were taking like the wrong approach. <laughs> totally the Looking wrong back approach. In oh my okay. God. It was so much busy work and not a lot of yeah. like strategy. And so it took, I don't know, like six years <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> for me okay. to like realize like uh-huh. I'm doing this all wrong. Yeah. And um, that's when it started really like turning around. Okay. What happens if you're just busy, busy, busy and not making an impact? What's the negative effects? Oh man, you'll get, you'll get pissed and burned out. Like you'll, (laughs) you'll be pissed that people aren't paying attention to the work you're doing. You're going to be like, I am doing so much work. Why isn't anybody recognizing me for all this work I'm doing? And then you're going to get burned out too, because you're not getting rewarded for the busy work that you're doing. 
Um, so something, for example, like I do not take notes in meetings unless I have been in this meeting and like I see that the note taker alternates, like if it's a recurring meeting and uh-huh. we go around Robin and people take notes. I don't take notes. I do not set up calendar events for people who aren't willing to like set up the calendar event half of the time. Mm-hmm. Like I I just do not do the extra work unless it's being reciprocated in a way that's yeah. respectful. Otherwise, I'm just not going to do it because it's not going to get rewarded or recognized. Um, and that's just the way it is. And so I see people going like above and beyond to be bend over backwards to make other people's lives easier at work and then they don't get rewarded for it. And it's like, stop doing those things and focus on what, what's high impact. Um, they might get rewarded in terms of, you know, people think, Oh, you're, you're so nice. Oh, you're so kind. Thanks for doing that. But nothing career wise. Yeah. I mean, unless that translates to a raise or to money, like, no, thank you. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's gotta be real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course I try to be helpful and of course I try to be a team player, but Mm -hmm. only if those things are being reciprocated. And so I think that's like a big thing that I wish more women especially would be mindful of. The note taking part. A lot of times women we play the secretary role right yes. like note taking sitting out calendar invites and we put it upon ourselves we and say like oh oh i'm a woman i'm i'm supposed to do it or no one else is doing it okay i'll do it and that's naturally how we roll yeah um you're saying don't do it if it's not going <laughs> it's not going to give any you know impact or return unless uh-huh. you notice the workload being distributed evenly amongst everybody in the room i have to bite my tongue and not volunteer to do it it's so tough I, i'll sit there in like the awkward silence until someone volunteers um but you just got to do it or else you're going to be looked at as the person who bends over backwards at the sake of like your own career. And I know that's not the yeah. in- the intention or whatever, yeah. but if you're constantly going out of your way to elevate others and you don't spend the same amount of time elevating yourself, you're not going to get the results that you want. So like, okay, so let's say you, you bite your tongue, you don't take the notes, you don't send it out. Let's say, especially if you're like the only female in the room that the guys are kind of expecting you to do it. And then if you don't do it, then they think less of you? I don't feel like they'll think less of me. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think they're even thinking about it. I don't think it's like some conscious, malicious thing. But I think the expectation, of course, is that I will raise my hand to do it. But yeah. if you don't, I mean, no skin off my back. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd be punished, basically, for yeah. not doing it. Also, like, let's say you're asked to take notes from your manager, like two meetings in a row. I think most managers, if I were like the only female engineer on my team and I was asked to take notes two meetings in a row, I think if I brought that up to my manager, most managers would be absolutely horrified that they have accidentally like yeah, done this thing that could be perceived as sexist or is sexist. And so just giving that feedback to be like, hey, I don't think it's your intention, but I noticed that in both of these meetings, you asked me to take notes when there's lots of people capable of taking notes, I just wanted to bring that up and talk about it. Most yeah. people would be absolutely horrified to realize that they had done that. And so yeah. if it did happen, that's probably what I would what I would say. Yeah, that's a, a really tactful way to bring it up to that manager. It's um, sometimes it's part of the unconscious bias, right? Like, totally. Usually in meetings, like sometimes they'll ask for volunteers, right? To be a note taker. And it's usually like the female who mm-hmm. is volunteering because the guys probably won't raise their hand. But I've learned that if you 
assign a note taker, a different note taker each time. It just kind of evens it out the point totally. for everyone. That's what I do in all of my meetings. We do round robin and everybody takes notes like awesome in all of our meetings. I mean, one person per meeting or whatever, but mm-hmm. it rotates. Awesome. If someone uh, was going to use your approach, use your framework, can you tell like how long it will take until people will start noticing and taking a shift or just, I guess it also depends on the organization and your leader, your leaders too, huh? If they will act on it. You know, I really feel like it's kind of like a universal framework that really could work the second that you're done doing it. But the the thing that, so I also run a program at Reddit called the gains program. It's uh, the grow and improve new skills program where I try to manifest this for the participants of the program. So how it works is we have usually five mentees and five mentors who work on a high impact project over the course of a quarter. They spend, you know, about 10% of their time and then mm-hmm. after hours work trying to like manifest this for themselves so that yeah the work that they're doing in the future, which is work that they would be doing anyways, gets the credit that it's due. And okay. so, it, so, so what I found is that it really depends on the person. Some people will follow the steps that I lay out mm-hmm. to a T and then they start finding that people are asking them questions. They become a subject matter expert. They give presentations. People are mm-hmm. listening to them more. But sometimes, you know, people who aren't following the framework or don't like believe in the power of the framework can struggle a little bit more. And so it's tough. It like really, really worked for me. And I truly believe that it would work for anybody who put, you know, their 100% into it. But people get scared. People get spooked about talking about their accomplishments. People get nervous um, being the lead on a project Mm -hmm. when they don't feel like they deserve it. And so sometimes when people feel that way, it kind of undermines the process a little bit. And so that's something I've been thinking about, you know, more and more how to build up that type of confidence that this really will work if you Mm -hmm. give it your all. Yeah. At the end of the day, you you own your own development, right? Exactly. It's not your manager, your boss, the leadership team. They're not going to tell you. I mean, they can tell you what to do, but at the end of the day, you have to put the work into it. Exactly. Own your development there. But at the same time, it also helps to find like a a mentor or sponsor to kind of guide you and and help you along the way, especially if if you don't know how to sell yourself or you're working on a nice project, but you want to get the word out there, but maybe you're too timid or shy and it's not your personality to get out there. Um, Did you have a mentor or or a sponsor at work to kind of help advocate for you or did you have to advocate yourself the whole time? I've only recently finally understood what it actually means to have a sponsor versus uh-huh. like a mentor. And so, yeah. okay. Uh, and what's, what's your definition if you don't mind me asking, well, like so, between mentor and sponsor? Yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of like, there's so much literature around this right now, but a sponsor for me is someone who will stick their neck out for you to like make your career succeed or like, like go above and beyond to mm-hmm help you be successful in your endeavors. Whereas a mentor, it's kind of like they're there if you have questions and maybe they're proactive, but it's not like they're going to your boss's boss and saying like, this person is amazing and we would be crazy not to give them a raise or keep them around or give them this or that. And so I actually really didn't realize the difference. Right now I would say I have two sponsors at Reddit. It's my direct boss. Um, Kevin. And then I have another sponsor in um, 
this guy named Matt Knox who has really helped me develop um, like the Matthew Effect framework that I was talking about earlier. He's helped me understand how to talk about like impact, how to have conversations that where you like end up getting what you want at the end of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, he's dedicated like so much time into making me a better human and like employee and more strategic. And so I didn't realize like what I was missing until suddenly I had it. And so it, it was pretty crazy. Hi everyone. So I just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a little bit more about Feed Learning. Feed Learning is an HR and talent consulting firm that helps build sustainable teams through interactive and virtual training courses, one-on-one coaching, and also HR process improvement strategies. We also have a bunch of free online resources to help you throughout your career. So check us out on feedlearning.com. And now back to the show with Sam. So what's your reputation? Do people perceive you as a nice person, as the assertive one? I think people definitely perceive me as assertive. Okay. I hope they perceive me as nice. I think um, (laughs) my mom always instilled in me, it is like more important to be true to -hmm. yourself or to your surroundings or like whatever than it is to be nice. So for example, like I remember my mom saying like, all my friends who have daughters always tell their daughters the most important thing to be is to be nice. Yeah. And my mom is like, that is just so not true. It's not setting people up for success. Of course, Mm -hmm. you should be kind, which is different than being nice. But being nice comes at a detriment when you aren't able to stand up for yourself or you're not able to call out bad behavior or you're not able to like, yeah, like have a voice. And so I think being kind is important. I think being nice is different. Okay, I'm gonna I want to dive more into this because this is this is an area for me where I would like to improve. Because growing up, I was the nice person and somewhat of a pushover at times, and I, I did things so that people can like me. And I I hated when <laughs> I hated it when people did not like me. And I remember this there was like a, a point in time where almost everyone I always talked to, I would be like, "Are you mad at me? Are you mad at me?" You know, for no reason. They're like, "Why would I be mad at you?" And in my mind, I just want to make sure that everyone liked me, right? Was not mad at me. And if they were mad at me, I needed to do something to change that. And and if there was someone in the world that did not like me, I was quote unquote a failure or something. And then I was never the assertive person, right? I Anytime that there was an opportunity for a confrontation, for me to speak up my mind, my hands would get sweaty. I already have hyperhidrosis. I'm already a sweaty person to begin with. But I get really sweaty, uh, armpits sweaty, my heart like beats really, you know, fast. And I just really feel it in me when I want to confront someone. And just that feeling stops me from speaking up. Um, it seems like you don't have that problem. Oh, Is well, that right? I have those exact same feelings. I get nervous, I get sweaty, but like, it propels me to speak up rather than makes me be quiet, which honestly, this is something I try to work on too. Something I've been thinking about a lot. So I have no no trouble speaking up, especially mm-hmm. if I feel like there's something that's not just that is happening or if I feel like somebody is getting bullied or if I feel like there is some sort of like unfairness in play Mm -hmm. um I will speak up like 100% of the time okay the point of speaking up is to like bring everybody together and like put everybody on the same page to create a more harmonious work environment and like 
help make people feel heard, but also good moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so something I've been trying to work on is like speaking up without putting people on the defense or speaking up in a way that's authoritative but softer. I have been so afraid of seeming soft for so long Mm -hmm. that I can be overly... I hesitate to use the word harsh, but like I can be very, very assertive in a way that sometimes can like shut people down if they're Mm -hmm. on the opposite end of it. I try to never, ever do that with my reports, but it has happened in like if there is confrontation with other teams or if like managing up or this or that, it is it can happen. And so mm-hmm. that's something that I have been thinking about a lot lately. How can I be assertive, but have the outcome be now we're all better for it? When you said that you're overly assertive or overly harsh, um, is that your perception or is it someone telling you that, hey, you're a bit too harsh? Um, because I, I know as, as female, right? Yeah, so if you're it's hard. too assertive, <laughs> you're, you know. Uh, exactly. B words. So, yeah. So, I have definitely uh-huh. heard people say that I am being harsh, but not within the past, like, not in years. But having had someone say that to me at one point, it really like harsh is like a real trigger word for me um, to start feeling bad or like shameful about the way I'm acting or how I'm existing. It's actually funny. So Kevin, my boss right now, when I first started in on management, I sometimes I would come out of a meeting and be like, was I harsh in that meeting? Was I like a complete bitch? And he'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, no. Why do you think that? And that was such a refreshing um, change for me because I, despite like being worried about that, I would still be assertive and and this and that. But then I would walk away feeling worried and I would like spin on it for like a day or two being like, "Uh, did I just like make a big mistake? Was I too harsh? And so it was really nice having someone being like, you're not being harsh. You're not overreacting. You're not Mm -hmm. acting in a way that is like bad or anything like that. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it was a huge change for me to have somebody be that advocate. And so these days, I I remember, (laughs) 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 I I remember leaving like the first meeting, exactly. (laughs) The first meeting where I asked him that and he was like, what are you talking about? And so it's just been kind of like a nice, change. And so yeah, to to answer your original question, perception at work. I think I am assertive. I think I am known for like getting shit done. Mm -hmm. And I hope that I am known for being fair, being like a problem solver. I would like to be I try to be kind. Um, Definitely not necessarily known as like, the nice, nice person. Okay. Okay. So if someone were to ask you, hey, how do you become more assertive? I guess what goes through your mind to kind of help you be propelled to speak up? Yeah. So something, again, my mom told me when I was young, um, if you don't understand something in class, for example, like in high school, Mm -hmm. like I guarantee you 30% of the other kids in the class also don't understand, but they're too scared to like raise their hand and ask. Yeah. And so I carry that with me like everywhere I go. I'm like, if I don't understand this, I know that I'm smart. I know that I can grasp concepts easily. If I don't understand it, it's probably because whoever's explaining it isn't doing a good job. And so Uh I shouldn't feel weird asking for clarification or asking 
if my understanding is correct. And just like knowing that deep in your soul that like if you have a question, probably someone else in the room also has that same question Mm -hmm. is such a relief. And it gives you permission to like ask the things that you want to know. Let's talk about you being a manager. So right now you're an engineering manager at Reddit. Mm-hmm. Um, any new manager feels like an imposter yes. when they start out, right? Yeah, tell me your experience. Like what was going on in your mind there? So I will say the imposter syndrome was not as bad as when I started engineering. Um, so when I first became an engineer, I was like, I am an idiot for like two years every day. I was like, I <laughs> somehow have like tricked these people into paying me like a tech salary and I have like no idea what I'm doing and so when I got into management at least I had like been a tech lead before I had mentored people for like two years probably before I got into management so the things that I was insecure about were um the team that I came on to all of them were super super senior way more senior than me and so I was kind of like, oh my God, like what could I possibly like help these people with? Yeah. And when you say senior, like their, their title was super senior oh, or their super experience senior. level? Yeah, uh-huh. I think okay. it was like, they're all either like staff or like right below staff level engineers, yeah. which are super, super senior. Um, the other thing that I was a little bit worried about was like, I had no idea how to do any type of like official planning. So like quarterly planning, how to do like a roadmap or like Mm -hmm. create a vision for like what my team is supposed to be doing. I had no idea how to have difficult conversations or like how to give critical or constructive feedback in a way that Mm -hmm. wouldn't make everybody mad at me. And I had no idea how to build trust on a team. Yeah. Um, So those were the things that I was worried about when I first started. How did you overcome it? So like building, let's, building trust yeah, and all the others that you said, like how, how did you manage to, to learn it? So I would say probably one of the most valuable things that I did, we had an HR partner at the time who set up a meeting and she called it a manager assimilation meeting. Mm-hmm. And basically what she would do is she would set up time where it like 15 minutes for me and all of my engineers and I had been on the team for like a week. So we didn't really know Mm -hmm. much about each other's working style. And so she made an introduction like, Oh, this is manager assimilation training. Yeah. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be asking Sam me to like leave the room. And I have like these six questions I'm going to ask the engineers and I'll record all the notes from their answers, I'll sanitize them, make sure that they're anonymous, et cetera. And then I will ask Sam to come back into the room, have the engineers leave. She'll give me all of the answers to the questions that she had asked and then give me an hour Mm -hmm. to like formulate responses to the questions that these engineers would have. And then we'd all come back in the room and I would just have a discussion about like answering their questions. And so that was like probably the most valuable thing that uh, that could have set me up for success when I first became a new manager. Awesome. And I can tell you those questions if you want to have them written down. Um, I think I actually told Kevin about it. And I think he told your HR. 
It's a new manager simulation, right? Yeah, it's amazing. It was like the best thing I've ever done. And so from like that day forward, I felt mm-hmm. like there was trust that was built. Um, another thing I tried to do was like not react at all for the first month and a half in our one-on-one. Yeah. So like just ask for like what was going on and let my engineers like vent about things or like talk about their concerns and not respond right away. Um, because like you don't actually know what's going on when you're on the outside of something until you've been in it for a couple months. And so Mm -hmm. just letting them feel safe in like telling me what was going on and not having any negative repercussions come from them, like being honest with me, that's something Mm -hmm. that I feel of course is always important, but just making sure that they knew that I think that. And so the trust was probably built over the course of like four months. I would say by the end of the four months, it was pretty smooth sailing. And not many teams ever get to build trust with their leadership, right? Like you can go working with this person for like six years and you still don't trust your leader or what or vice versa. So the new manager simulation, and now I can uh, share the link um, and the questions on it, really helps build that trust. But it all starts with you, right, Sam? Like you, you had to be vulnerable. You had to allow for them to give feedback on you. Right? Yeah, it was yeah, so scary. I bet, right? You don't know <laughs> what they're going to say. And it was like so nice. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. I was sweating when when the <laughs> HR rep was reading back some of their responses. I was uh-huh. like, please, please, please don't hate me. Like, I, I'm so scared. And it was the kindest, like, nicest feedback where it was like the concerns were totally valid. Like, for example, like people had concerns. They're like, Sam's never been a manager. She's never been a manager of an infrastructure team. And she's like, not a, uh, not like a senior two engineer. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, that's super valid. And then the next question would be like, how can we help Sam be the best that she could be? And that's what my engineers had asked. It was like so sweet. So I was so heartened and like mm-hmm. the feedback was just amazing. I would highly recommend like anybody who's a new manager to do this with the team. How would you describe yourself in terms of your race, ethnicity, gender, generation, etc.? So I am a white Caucasian female. I'm a pretty feminine person, I would say. I really am into makeup, fashion. I love reading like mommy blogs written by women. <laughs> I'm not a mom. I don't know why. <laughs> But you can come over and play mama for my daughter anytime. (laughs) Like, so I am just, I am a very feminine person, I would say. Do you feel that stereotypes have been placed on you in your career? Actually, when I first got into tech at the boot camp, I had long blonde hair coming from LA. And so I decided to shave half of my head when I got into tech because I (laughs) was like, I really don't want this like dumb, blonde, pretty girl stereotype Uh to like affect me in a negative way. So I like shaved half my head so that at least, (laughs) (laughs) at least when people looked at me, they would Uh notice that first and it wouldn't be, they wouldn't be underestimating me. I've never faced blatant sexism almost ever like in tech I think part of that is probably my personality where um 
I just shut that down as soon as I, if, if something seems to be happening like that, like even in Slack, for example, if someone is like asking for an explanation and I explain it and then someone else comes in and explains it, I will say in Slack, I'll be like, how is that different yeah. from what I said? And then people will usually be like, oh, uh, nothing, sorry, <laughs> or something like that. Nice, and call it so, out. Because, I mean, it's not like, pe- I don't think people are, like, maliciously doing it on purpose. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's, like, the way that the world, like, the, the world that we live in, that's how it exists. And so I will call it out from time to time, and then that's usually it. Have you ever cried at work? Oh, my God, yes. I used to cry at work all the time. <laughs> okay, okay. Tell, tell me more. So I used to cry a lot at work when I felt like I was trying so, so hard to do the right thing and other people couldn't see that I was trying really hard Mm -hmm. to do that Mm -hmm. right thing. So like if I had worked really hard to put together a presentation or something and then people would be like, well, why didn't you just do this or something like, you know, pick apart some parts of the presentation, I would get super upset and be really worried that they thought I was stupid, even though I had spent all this time on it. And so that was the type of thing that would upset me at work. Um, It hasn't happened in a while, though. I got to tell you, having like someone who's your sponsor as your boss, (laughs) changes everything. Yeah. Do you feel that crying is a sign of weakness? Like when I cry, I'm like, oh my God, this is such a bad, horrible thing. But when, when other people cry, I am like, holy shit, you're so justified in your tears and like that is such a like you are being true to yourself and that it's so brave of you to like be crying in this room and be vulnerable so like when other people cry I'm like there for it I'm like hell yeah but when I cry I am like oh my god harder on yourself (laughs) so so do you feel embarrassed when you cry then at work sometimes okay usually what I'll say is I want to keep having this conversation I can't control that I'm crying and the reason I'm crying is is probably because I feel uncomfortable but I want to continue having this conversation so if we could just keep talking through this I want to hear what you're saying and I'd like to like ignore this flood of emotion because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable giving me this feedback and having me cry like I want to work through this and so usually if I say that people are like oh thank god okay <laughs> and then they then we can continue the conversation because they feel they feel a little awkward they don't know what to do totally so giving, okay. giving people permission to like continue having the conversation through tears is usually how I like work around it because it's totally true like I don't want to cut a conversation short because my emotions are getting the best of me I want to like continue having the conversation normalize the tears be like this is just a reaction that my body is having and let's let's keep talking that's an always a strong way to um to resolve something when because sometimes the feelings just get the best of you and it's okay to take a pause you don't have to resolve everything right then and there um just take a walk and come back to it and resolve it later when you're in the right mindset to resolve i think i've cried in every single job i've ever had (laughs) every single job i don't think there's any job that i've never cried at because i'm just I'm the type of person that's so hard on myself. I'm like a perfectionist. If I mess up, even if it's like a small mess up, I blow it out of proportion. I'm like, oh shoot, they're <laughs> gonna think that I, I suck at my job because because I misspelled a word on a slide and the kind of mistake that I made. I'm not perfect anymore, right? So it's just ridiculous the uh, amount of pressure that we put on ourselves sometimes. 
All right, so almost done. We're gonna do lightning round and then end it with career advice. So what was your first job? I answered phone calls at my church. How old were you? Like freshman in high school. What did you want to be when you grew up? I think in fashion probably is what I wanted to be. My parents were like, no. <laughs> okay. What did your parents want you to be? Maybe like a writer. I feel like they thought I'd be a writer for a long time. Uh, what do or did your parents do for work? My dad was a financial controller and my mom was an accountant and then she left the workforce to like raise me and my sister and then she became a triathlon coach. <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> I know, my parents could kick my ass uh, athletically. <laughs> wow, wow. I like to meet your mom sometimes. <laughs> uh, what college did you go to and what was your major? Fordham University for marketing. Were you ever considered as the smart kid in class? I'd say I was middle of the pack. If money wasn't an issue and you could be anything you wanted to be, what would it be? I really like what I'm doing now. Maybe okay. like a teacher of this kind of stuff. Favorite TV show? Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Why are you doing this to me? It's like- I, I heard you are a big reality TV show <laughs> reality person. Reality TV. So my favorite show of all time is Are You The One, which is almost like an algorithmic dating show. It is absolutely amazing. And then uh -huh. second follow-up is Survivor. I love Survivor. Heck yeah. All right, Survivor Party, Wednesday night. Um, select crush Wentworth Miller who was like the lead protagonist oh, on Prison Break oh he's cute <laughs> oh shoot my husband what reality TV star do you want to be friends with can I say like Jeff Probst I like love uh -huh. him he okay. reminds me of my dad <laughs> okay <laughs> nice how many pairs of shoes do you own at least 30 do you have life insurance I do actually <laughs> good job um, what can I find on your desk at work I try to keep it super minimal at work. I'll usually have some plants and uh, like a smattering of paperwork that I try to like recycle at the end of the week. Uh, do you wear the same clothes every day or do you style it up at work? Style it up, gotta style it up. Ah, all right, you're in fashion. Yep. Uh, do you buy or bring lunch? At Reddit, we get lunch catered. Oh yeah, never mind. But these Us. days I would make lunch. I'm trying to be more sustainable and I think that making your own lunch is more like environmentally friendly and, and so I, I try to do that. Would you pay $15 for a salad? I have and I would again, yes. What's the best city to live in? Los Angeles for sure. Do you do uh, sock, shoe, sock, shoe, or sock, sock, shoe, shoe? Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. I am not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how many glasses of water do you drink a day? Oh my God, like one. I'm trying to get better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty low. <laughs> I know. Okay. Let's end it with career advice. Uh, what advice would you give someone who is in transition of trying to figure out the right career path for them? It's difficult for me to give sweeping advice for everybody because I am in a position of like extreme privilege to be able to fail and it would be okay if I failed. And so, okay, so speak on your experience. Then. Yeah, based on uh -huh. my personal experience, it really depends. Like if you are in a position of 
privilege where failure is an option, mm-hmm. um, my advice would be to be brave and to be bold and go ahead and try it. Otherwise, you're going to live your life like regretting not having tried the thing. It's going to like stay with you forever. Mm-hmm. Career-wise for me, every risk that I have taken has been met with reward, whether that was failing and learning something from it or having like the ultimate goal of that risk pan out for me professionally. Mm-hmm. So it was a risk going to dev boot camp and it has completely pivoted the trajectory of my entire life going to that boot camp. I am like financially sound. Um, I have a job that I love. I am not stressed about things that a lot of people end up getting stressed about. And that mm-hmm. is so amazing that that risk paid off. I would say take the risk because you're going to be okay even if it doesn't okay. work out. What is your advice for someone who wants to advance in their career? So the first and foremost thing that I wish I had realized earlier is that your own career advancement is your responsibility. It is not mm-hmm. your manager's job to make sure that you're succeeding as much as it is your own responsibility to like take your career into your own hands. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I was like, it's my manager's job to make sure that I am getting promoted and to make sure that I am like fulfilling my duties the best that I can be. And that's mm-hmm. just such, I think that's the mindset a lot of people have that like your career is in the hands of your manager, but really your career is in the hands of yourself. And so yeah. the earlier you realize that, the more, the earlier you're able to make the correct calls. Like if you're not mm-hmm. being rewarded at work, either change it up or leave. And so I wish that that was something that I had been mindful of earlier because maybe I could have manifested that Matthew effect for myself a little bit earlier if I hadn't been so reliant on others to like prop me up. Yeah. The other piece of advice that I have is that being busy is not the same as getting the right things done. So being busy is not the same as being impactful. And that's something that I see people struggle with like all the time. Like they think if I'm going, 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 I'm providing as much value as possible when really you should really be focusing on like, what is the impact of what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And if I am not working on the most impactful thing I could be right now, I need to stop that and do something else. What is your advice for new managers who just recently got promoted and they don't know what the heck they're doing? (laughs) What are some first steps they should take? So like I mentioned earlier, the manager assimilation meeting was like the biggest game changer, I think. I shudder to think what would have happened if we hadn't done a manager assimilation meeting. I think like you have to do it. It changed everything for my team, I think. Yeah. The other thing that I have learned is to provide your team with a way to give you feedback proactively. So Every single week, I ask my team in our one-on-ones if they have feedback for me, basically like making it an expected part of our meeting, like come to this Mm -hmm. meeting with feedback for me because I will have feedback for you. And so sometimes like they'll go a couple weeks where things are just going so smoothly that people really don't have feedback for you. And when that happens, usually I will try to ask, what is something that you think that I could do that would improve the way I'm running this team by 10%? Mm-hmm. And so that really gives people permission to give you feedback on these teeny, teeny, tiny things that otherwise they might not have ever mentioned because it felt too stupid to mention it. Um, but those things are often like really important. Like 
For example, one of my engineers one time gave me feedback that he felt like I didn't fully understand the scope of like this particular project that we were working on. And it was totally true. I like hadn't been paying attention to this Mm -hmm. part and it had been putting undue stress on him to have to explain it. Like he felt like he was explaining it every other week. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. I really just need to spend 10 minutes to like buckle down and read the design doc or whatever that you wrote so that I can be fully onboarded and present in these conversations. But that would nice. be something that maybe he would feel nervous about giving me that feedback because it it's minor, you know? It's like, yeah. he's like, oh, I feel like you don't understand this detail. And that can feel really bad to say that to your manager. So giving them the permission to tell you things like that is really, really important, I think. I absolutely agree. And it's, I think, naturally when it comes to the workplace, you feel like, all right, you're the manager. I have to listen to you. You know, you're, you're ours, right? Even if I think you're not, I have to bite my tongue. And I think that's just like the traditional old school way. Um, and I, I like how you give them the permission to kind of give that feedback and you, you welcome that feedback. And that's the only way to like really build that trust and that new manager assimilation, it kind of fast tracks that building the trust, right? Once totally. you have that, that trust, it's easier to be open and honest and have that cultural psychological safety in, in the team. You don't have to hold anything back and you can just share your ideas, good or bad, and not not be afraid of any negative repercussions there. So I, like I totally that. agree. Yeah, I, I tend to think of management as like service oriented management. So like mm-hmm. I am here to serve my team. Like my goal is to make my team, the best team that they can be. And so whatever they need from me to make that happen, that's how I like to run the team. Not this like top down approach where it's like, do what I say because I'm manager. Cause it's like, managers make mistakes all the time. It is much better (laughs) to like ask like, what do I need to do to make you better? Is Uh such a better way of like approaching management than being like, just do what I say. (laughs) That's true. Sam, any books, articles, resources you recommend? I know you talked about the new manager assimilation, Um, anything else? I do not derive the same great understanding from books and articles as Mm -hmm. I do from like going to different resources and asking for advice. Like for whatever reason, information from an article just doesn't translate as well into my brain as like sitting down and speaking with somebody to say like, hey, I'm having this problem and I'm curious, I don't understand like why I'm having this problem. Have you ever experienced this? What are your thoughts? I I think my advice is more like get out there and network with people either at Mm -hmm. your job or maybe external to your job, depending how much information you're like allowed to divulge about, you know, what you're working on. But for me, the most important thing has been to have sponsors and mentors who are years and years into their career that I can come to to be like, am I totally off here? Like, what should I do? That's been so much more helpful to me than any book or article that I've ever read. Awesome. So Sam, thanks so much for sharing your vulnerable moments, your experience, how to create an awesome team and kind of how to just like speak up for yourself as well. I think that's something that I I gained a lot from this conversation here is your mom. I got to meet her. It's it's not necessarily (laughs) about being a nice person, the kind person. You got to do, what what did she say? You have to do what's right or what's... um... Yeah, it's it's not as important to be nice as it is to like be true to like... Yeah, be true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. I'm going to teach that to my little daughter. Uh, (laughs) Okay. All right, Sam, thank you. Thank you. 
So that wraps the episode. If you're looking for more tips and tricks on how to navigate sticky situations at work, check out the library at feedlearning.com. And if you're an HR professional, founder, or manager, and would like to get some training or coaching for yourself or team, reach out to me and I'd be happy to help out. If you have any questions or comments about this episode or for future guests, you can send me a message at hello at feedlearning.com or leave me a voicemail on my Google Voice at 805-262-7782. Until next time, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Subscribe to People Podcast by Feed Learning on iTunes or Spotify and share this episode with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. See you later.